0: Take a minute and just, um, just, just talk about opposition right now. I just, during worship, feel like there's a number of people that have physical issues, and I just know God wants to do some healing. Physical pain. There's a faith that's starting to rise up, and it's connected to people in physical pain because physical pain is a distraction and also areas of fear and anxiety. And so raise your hand if you feel like today you need God to touch you in the area of physical pain. Yes, okay. Lord, we're gonna pray right now and we're gonna contend for the Lord to move and do some miracles regarding physical pain. We were praying for a lady recently and literally her hands were completely crippled up. We put some oil on her and we watched in a moment something begin to happen. And those crippled hands began to relax and extend. And that's what God can do. Because we have such a big God. And there's so much opposition to each one of us to really enjoy the freedom that he wants to give us. So... I'm excited for today. I'm excited what God wants to do today in our lives. I had a really unusual uh, experience last night in the middle of the night. It must have been around 3 o'clock in the morning. I woke up, and so I tried to read for a little while, and then I just was there awake. And you know how that is when you're awake in the middle of the night. It's sort of a weird thing. You know, you're just you and God. And um, all of a sudden, I had the most overwhelming love... For the word of God. For the word of God. And, and you think about that, and you think, that's not necessarily an unusual experience, because we love Jesus, we love the Father, we love the Son, we love the Holy Spirit. But, you know, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And it was like, the word seemed so powerful. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. It was connected. I just began to, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weak places. Just word after word just began to come and wash over me. And I felt, felt the impact and the power of the word of God. And I thought, why not? When it says the word of God is living, it says it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it is really, it's able to divide between. In Hebrews, it talks about it divides between our spirit and our soul. And some of us have really strong souls, and we need a lot of dividing to be done. Huh? We need a lot to be happening. And it's not going to be happening by just being a good person. Because, you know, one thing is, um, we might feel like we're strong, but we are not stronger than the devil. Greater is he in us than he in the world. The Lord is stronger than the things that happen to us. But we're not stronger on our own. And one of the greatest weapons we have is the word of God. Amen. It will not return void. It will accomplish whatever it is sent out to accomplish. I had a dream not long ago, and I told Dawn about it, and it was sort of a crack up. Someone asked me to speak, and I didn't feel prepared, and I ran to get my makeup, and I was in an outhouse. And all of a sudden, in the outhouse, I felt like God said, forget whatever, every, everything you think that you need. It's the word of God. And if you have the word of God, that is the power. That is what you put your confidence in. That is what will bring change and transformation in our life. It's the word of God. And you know, it says the letter kills. So I'm not talking about being legalistically reading that word and trying to do everything perfectly. It's the spirit of God that gives life. And we need life. We need life and we need it more abundantly. So, I have so much faith today. I have faith that God wants to do some rebuilding in the house. In the house, but in the house. We are the house. And he wants to fix some things that are broken. So he wants to remove roadblocks in our life. Obstacles that b- block our progress with him. Um, obstacles that keep us from growing in a spiritual way. Philippians 1.6 6 says... And this is the key verse. And you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work, he's going to be faithful to be the one who completes it. So Philippians 1, 6. He is the one who is faithful to complete that work. You know, I noticed it's never planned when we get saved. We say yes because we feel this emptiness inside we're all of a sudden aware that there's a need of something greater in our life than ourselves. And we get desperate enough to push past what looks right to get right. When I got saved, my mind was completely burned out on drugs. So my mind couldn't hold a thought. I abused myself as a teenager and as a young person. And when I got saved, I had such fear and anxiety. I had to sleep with the bathroom light on my whole life. I couldn't sleep without drinking myself to sleep so I could go to sleep. I had to completely medicate constantly. I had no direction, and I knew if I would never marry... I knew I would never marry because you know what? I hated divorce. Hated divorce. And then suddenly, and I'm saying suddenly, very suddenly, I was so loved. I was so forgiven. I knew that I would get married and I would never know divorce. And you say, what changed? What can change us that drastically? What can change in a moment of time where we do life our own way and then all of a sudden something drastically changes and we're changed forever? I would say what changed was the builder was in the house. The builder was in the house and if you know Jesus, the builder is in your house. The builder is in your house today. Think about that. The creator, the one who created each one of us. He knows every single thing about you. He knows how different we all are. But when he comes in, he builds, and he does a custom job. Have you ever seen, you know, there's tracks, and they're sort of blah. But man, you go into a neighborhood where there's custom housing, and it is something to behold. The 17-mile drive, oh my, custom. We are those custom houses it placed in the house of God. And again, we can be confident that he who began a good work, the builder, when he begins a good work, he's going to be the one who's going to be faithful to complete it. God begins this good work, but he's not finished. And I tell you, it breaks his heart. There's so many that are walking around wounded, There's so many in the church that are walking around wounded. They're walking around, oh, as one hobbles down the aisle right now. (laughs) Our walls are broken down. How can we help others when we ourselves need such repair? How do we do it? God wants to make us trophies of his grace, but we have to yield to the process. We are to become trophies of the grace of God, We are to believe that God is able to do more and exceedingly and abundant than we could ever hope or imagine possible. We have to believe that there's a sudden moment for our lives, that suddenly something changed. Suddenly something's different. God wants to redeem your failures. I tell you, failure can completely paralyze you from moving forward. And the enemy, it says he's the accuser of the brethren, and day and night, guess what he's doing? He accuses us before God, and he tries to keep us inactive and disqualify us from the message that he wants us to be able to give out to other people. Failure can devastate you until you learn to accept, not only accept failure, but thank God for your failures. You know, at some point, you got to take a minute and say, God, I thank you for Failure. Because in praise and thanksgiving, there's a capacity to let go of things. And we need to be able to let go. God wants to rebuild our character. You know, character is an interesting thing. A reputation is something everybody sees and talks about outwardly. Character is something that's developed inwardly. Character happens when nobody else is watching. True character. God wants to renew our minds We are living in a day where we are bombarded, bombarded by media, by Internet, by electronics, by Facebook. We can so easily become distracted and fill our minds with things that have no place and no purpose in our life as Christians. We get distracted so quickly and easy, and God wants to redirect our future. We can get stuck in our future and think, who am I? Am I really important to God? Do I make a difference? Absolutely you do. Every, let me just look at you. Every single one in this place has a purpose and makes a difference in the kingdom of God. Don't let anything tell you that that is not the case. So I'm going to start my message now. Um, and so we're going to be talking about Ezra and going into the book of Nehemiah. And it's such a powerful part of history. You know, in the book of Ezra, God's people had just returned from captivity and they to rebuild the temple, and that was an incredible, awesome thing. Things were being restored in the, with the people of God in the house of God. But God, God was so on the move in the book of Ezra. But he sure wasn't finished. He had so much more to do. The temple had been rebuilt, but it says that the walls were broken down. And that is so much like our own personal lives. You know, it says, do you not know in Corinthians that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit lives inside you? So when you get saved and you're born again, you're the temple of God. But how often we're the temple of God, but our walls are broken down and they are in much need of repair. The temple... Had been rebuilt, the walls were torn down, and when Nehemiah heard about it, he was quite disturbed. And in his distress, it says that he sat down and he mourned for many days. Mourned for many days. Sometimes for change to happen in our life, we got to get disturbed. We got to get a little disturbed. Uh, we got to sit in what is affecting us. It is so easy to want to run, to deny, to keep busy, and not deal with and face something disturbing that God wants to show us about ourselves, about our relationships, about him, about what we're doing. But Nehemiah is a great example because it says he sat in it, and he mourned. He let himself feel what was going on. Then he did something that always, always, always moves the hand of God. And it moved Nehemiah. It says he repented. He repented for himself and he repented for the people. You know, repentance is an incredible thing. And I know it says in the Bible it's a gift from God. I long to see more repentance in my own personal life, but I long to see repentance in the church. I long for God to begin to get hold of people and break the compromise that's sweeping through the body of Christ and to make it a holy temple. Repentance never cares what other people think. It's so messy. Huh? It doesn't care what other people think. It doesn't need to look good. It doesn't put on its very best. When there's a godly sorrow, it's not concerned about getting caught. It's not concerned about being corrected. And it's not concerned about being convicted. It's only concerned about getting right. It sees what's wrong and it's sorry and it really means it. Have you ever been where there's been a conflict and. People are saying they're sorry, but it's just a token sorry. Yeah? Oh, can I get an amen? I think we all understand that apology and sorrow have different levels. And when there's an apology given and when we say we're sorry and we don't mean it, it doesn't really produce healing in our personal life. Hmm? It also knows, repentance knows and puts faith in the ability that God is able to change, restore, and rebuild what is broken. And that's our hope. Well, we need hope. So often hope is deferred, and we walk around very sick. But it says, boy, what a delight when a desire is fulfilled in our lives. We're to have delight. We're to have freedom. So, Nehemiah had a call to rebuild. He had incredible success, but he had great opposition. For Nehemiah to move forward, he needed permission from the king. And because he already served the king, it says in Nehemiah that he was his cupbearer, he had a close connection to the king, and he had the king's ear. He was so close to the king that the king knew that Nehemiah was troubled and disturbed about something, and the king actually asks Nehemiah, Why is your face sad? You know how our face can look sad. Why is your face sad, and what can I do for you? And Nehemiah responds, If it pleases the king, and I have found favor in your sight, send me to Judah that I can rebuild. Nehemiah had a passion, his passion had a prayer, and when he went before the king, he had a purpose, and it was to rebuild. We're also called to rebuild. There is not one person in this place that is not called to rebuild. I don't know what you need to rebuild. Sometimes I have an idea what I need to rebuild, and I know what's already been rebuilt, but God is in the process and desires and longs to bring true redemption and restoration into our lives. Redeem To be redeemed means he's already bought us back. He bought us back with a high price. He brought us back with the precious blood of Jesus. So we're redeemed, but he also wants to set us apart. There needs to be a place where we sanctify our life and say, God, begin this process of rebuilding transforming and changing me in such a way that I will never be the same and I will have impact in the kingdom of God, that I will have impact in the community, that I will have impact in my family. And that's what, we don't want to play church. We don't want to just hang out together. You know, Bruce mentioned Dave Patterson. I love that. It's like, you know, we might want to jump in the river, but we sure don't want to become an aquarium. Huh? Huh? No, we need to be able to get out. Get out and make an impact and have an influence on other people. Find that place that needs to be rebuilt in your life. You might know what it is already. God might already be speaking to you and saying, this is what I want to see rebuilt in you. This is what I'm working on. This is what I'm putting my finger on. Sometimes we're trying to change things that God isn't even caring about right now. He's saying... You know, this is sidetracking you. Don't even go there. Don't overlook into your own life. You'll get into trouble. (laughs) Let the Holy Spirit be the spotlight. You know, he's the light. He's the lamp. And so, but we can easily begin to take on the responsibility to sort of check our own life. And the enemy can camp right on that and come into agreement with that. And we can end up in such bondage. And there's no power over that area that we're looking at because it's not God who's showing it to us. Or there's somebody here that lives in that place. There is somebody in this place right now that lives in that place of doing that. They are looking inside, and it's not bringing freedom. It's bringing bondage, and God wants you to set you free. It's created depression in your life, and you need to have a discernment of when it's God dealing with you and your own self-condemnation coming against you. And that will change things. So we're called to rebuild. And we serve a king. And you know what? We have his ear. We have his ear. He knows what troubles us. He's able to build what is broken. He also is asking each one of us, what is making your face sad? What's making you sad? And what can I do for you? So find the place that needs to be rebuilt in your life. And, you know, pray, Lord, give me a passion and a prayer. Let that prayer have purpose. Let me have a desire to rebuild. So Nehemiah is very blessed by the king. So he's able to move forward. We need to know we are blessed by the king, okay? You know, we went away on vacation. This is just a funny sideline story. And I made friends with the, the, the manager at Sheraton, and I was trying to get a little deal on the breakfast, and he's like, oh, no, that's only for special people. And he goes, I'll give you the deal of senior citizen. And I said, well, that's no deal. We are senior citizens. So, you know, we became friends. So um, I ended up witnessing to him, and I was telling him all about Bruce, my husband, and how God saved him and healed him from kidney cancer and He's like, oh, you know, so we're chatting it up. So a month, we're getting ready to go to the Sheraton with our kids. And Mauricio calls me out of the blue a month later. Dory, don't tell Bruce, but we are going to honor him. Everyone, all the staff are going to wear special ribbons. What, what does he like to drink? Does he like alcohol? Does it, what's his favorite alcohol? I said, Martinelli's. What's Martinelli's? It's apple cider. Okay, so um, what does he, he, does he have any restrictions with eating? Oh, no, bring it on. Um, okay, we are going to give you special valet parking. We're putting you on the 10th floor. We're giving you the club. We're giving you the breakfast. And Bruce, who doesn't, likes to go under the radar, anyone who knows him, we drive up and he goes, you can't tell him we're doing this. So when we drive up I can almost see Bruce wrestling with the bar hop guy with his luggage because Bruce is going to do his own luggage. And all the place is going, "He's here! He's here!" And so um here we go. We go in. There's flowers in the room and every from the the house cleaner to the to the main people, they all know Bruce has come. The king. And then and then Bruce is embarrassed and you know humbled and he has his little head down walking but our son is camping on this so whenever we come out of the elevator he goes doo, 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 doo. the king has arrived the king has come and here's bruce he goes the subjects will walk with him and so you know here's bruce but all i'm saying that to say god is awesome and you know it's not like we need to be royalty but he is royalty He is royalty, and we have his ear. We are close to the king. So, Nehemiah had permission, but the interesting thing with Nehemiah, as he was going forward, he anticipated that there would be opposition. How often do we not anticipate opposition, and we're so disillusioned that there's this onset of struggle as we move forward? We're like, What's going on? I love you. I'm serving you. I'm doing everything right. Why is all age breaking loose? Well, maybe we need to change our mindset and say, okay, as I move forward in God, I can anticipate that there will be opposition. Right? Yep. And so it says that, you know, he sent letters ahead to the governors that he could pass through. And then Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, but he tells nobody And he does something very, very interesting that I think that we all need to do. It says at nighttime he goes by the valley and oh my, he begins to take a look at the devastation of the broken wall. You know, he doesn't take anybody else with him. He doesn't talk to anyone else about it. But he goes alone through the valley. God sometimes is taking us through the valley that we alone in the night hour would take a look at the devastation of the things, either ourselves, the people around us, that we would take a moment before we allow other people to enter into our work and we would assess what's going on. Nehemiah needed to assess that brokenness before he was going to speak to that brokenness. So he goes by night and then he gathers the people and they all say together, I love this. They all say together, let us rise up and build. And here's our opposition. Simbalat, the Horonite, these are really unusual names, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard of it. And here's what they did. This was their opposition. It says they laughed at them, they despised them, and they mocked them. How often does that happen in our own lives? Sometimes it's real, and sometimes it's spiritual, and sometimes it's ourselves. It says they laughed, despised, and mocked him. So that was their opposition that they were going to face. You know, Kent Keith has this really cool quote, and I like it because it's so true, and it's called, Anyway, people are unreasonable, illogical, self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. What you spent years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. There will always be opposition. Opposition. To rebuilding when the walls are broken down it makes us vulnerable in nehemiah's day if a city walls were broken down it made him vulnerable but a city with broken down walls revealed a defeated people no wonder we come under so much whenever an enemy hears you rebuilding he will mock you but build anyway build anyway Chapter 4, 6 says the people had a mind to work. They had a shovel in one hand, and we heard this prophetically in the last few weeks, and a weapon in the other, and they moved forward. We work in the natural, but we war in the spiritual. Let God show you what he wants you to work on, but also let him show you what is your weapon. Do you know we all have different weapons? for different times and different seasons in our life. What is the weapon he's giving you in your hand? What is the weapon he wants to give you personally that you would do warfare and that you would be able to move forward in your life? It could be praise. Sometimes God will bring you into a place where you're to be thankful for all things. It says Give thanks in all things for this is the perfect will of God in your life. There's one place in the Bible where we know we can walk in the perfect will of God. It's in giving thanks. Take that weapon. And you can have things going on that are so painful and you rise up and you give thanks. That might be your weapon. Scriptures, hide the word of God in your heart that you will not sin against him. Get the word of God so deeply within you that he has something to draw up in your life when you're going through circumstances. Confession. Again, repentance. Going to places of truth. It says in Psalms 51 God desires truth in our innermost being. Don't fake it. Go there. That might be your weapon declaration might be your weapon prayer might be your weapon another thing is to check your heart for offenses you know the bible's very clear that offenses are going to come there's no way around offense okay it'd be great but as long as we're human and we're in relationship there's going to be peop- there's going to be times when we're offended how you handle offenses will either build you up or it will tear you down It has a huge impact in our lives. That's why it runs rampant. And it shouldn't be running rampant in the church because we should all be dedicated to making amends. Humbly making amends with one another. That should just be part of the package. God wants to rebuild his house, his people. You know, there's people walking in these doors and they are suffering from all kinds of stuff, from the effects of addictions, abuse, abortion, divorce, depression, shame, and they're coming. And they're in the church. And they know Jesus. And they are in process. We are in process. We are the Holy Spirit, but we are also broken in places. I was at the dentist this week, and they were making a mold for my tooth. So I was making friends with my dental assistant. And she put so much molding material in my mouth that she was strangling me, choking. And so we were laughing. I'm going, I'm choking. And so we had this really fun little connection. And, and so we're just visiting and talking, and she's in there. And the Lord speaks to me, and he says, ask her if she has any children. And so I thought, okay. So I said, you have any children? And she said, yes, I have a little boy, and he's four. And um, the moment she said, I have a little boy, and he's four, I knew she had no husband. Because the Lord, I think what he would have done, he would have said, ask about her family. And I said, you have no husband. I felt like she was the woman at the well. (laughs) You've had five. No, no. (laughs) Anyway, so anyway, so I said, you have no husband. And she said, no, I don't. And she had her little mask thing on. And I just stopped because I knew it was a moment with, with her. And I'm not a touchy person, as anybody who knows me well. I'm not necessarily... Meaningful touch is probably not my love language. But I knew I needed to hold her hands. And I said, I need your hands. Can I take your hands? And so in that moment, in that dentist appointment, I'm holding her hands. And I said, you made the right choice, you know. God was just speaking to me and saying, you need to affirm her. This girl has been through so much. And I said... I know that it's really hard. It's really hard what you're doing, and you're doing a good job, and you made the right choice, and it's not going to always be like this for you. There's going to be joy with this child. Well, as I'm talking, she's just crying and crying. I needed this so desperately, and as I'm leaving, she said, you know, I grew up in the church, and she says, I even helped start a church. And I thought in my mind, oh, my goodness, I just had a little Nehemiah experience. I got to do some building of a broken wall. My heart breaks because so often we're around people, and they're so broken. And I tell you, they're trying to tell us about their lives. They have it written on their arms, on their necks, on their legs. They're all tatted up. And you know what? I love when that, I see that because in a moment I can find out a person's life but what the, why, by what they have inked on their body. I tell you, there's people they're wearing colored rubber bands in memory of, in remembrance of, and they are so broken. And they're saying, will somebody please see me? Will somebody please see me? And if we're not built enough as believers, we're going to pass right by them because we are going to be too self-consumed. And so we have opportunity every single day in the restaurants, in the grocery stores, wherever we hang out. I'm excited. This was in Sunnyvale, and this girl comes into Hollister. So she said she's going to probably come by the church. I love it. You know, humanity is suffering, and it is oozing out all over the place. So... You know, God has also been my Nehemiah. He's been been really busy (laughs) with me. You know, I know at times I've really shared my struggles and my weaknesses because I feel like God prophetically said that I'm not supposed to speak out of a place of strength, but out of a place of weakness and about the real issues and the things that I have been delivered and set free from because then God gets the glory for that. And many years ago, I went through an experience um, that was really, really painful, and it triggered my past. And one night during that time, I was in bed, and I felt the presence of God in a very unusual way. And this electricity began to go up and down, and this electricity lasted through the whole night. And I asked the Lord, what, what is this? What are you doing and he said, I am taking a root of insecurity out of you. And that was right before we started the church here. And yes, I go through my stuff, but i if I would not have had that divine appointment with God, there is no way I could have done this church. And some of the reason is, is what I'll, I'll share right now, <clears throat> is when I when I was a kid, my dad left, and my mom went to work. So we grew up with living nannies. Um. They did the cleaning. They cleaned so well that if I jumped out of the bed in the morning and I wanted to get back in bed, it was made. My mom was a smoker. Her ashtray was clean. I mean, they, they, they did a job, but they were also represented a mom in the house. A lot of times they lived in my room. I counted one time we had 40 people probably live in our home as live-in nannies Um, we had so many that came and went, some were foreign exchange students, all kinds of walks of life. Um, When they left, this is my broken wall, guys, so you'll know. Uh, They never once, I never remember them saying why, and I never remember them saying bye. One of my broken walls because of that was, there must be something horribly wrong with me that so many people would leave me. What did I do? What's wrong with me? Last year I was at cleansing streams and I realized I really needed a hug from a mom. And I thought, that's so weird. Why would I need a hug from a mom? My dad's the one who left me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, your dad left you one time. Your mom left you 40. And I tell you, I found a lady that represented my mom and she was really strong. She was one of the main speakers because one lady tried to come up and it didn't work. i like, it's not hitting me. I'm not getting healed here. <laughs> I needed someone who really represented something different. And so I went for it. I looked for it because I knew I needed it. And I let that lady hug me and I let myself cry and cry and cry because that's what I needed to begin to rebuild the wall in my life. And I say that to say, Walls show up in many different ways. And I'm giving examples that we can understand. We have different places. Um, so in closing, I want to recap the steps of Nehemiah took. He realized something was broken in need of repair. He had that be still and know that I am God moment. Psalms 51.10. He, 41.10. He repented. Owned the devastation. He owned the devastation for himself and for others. Uh, Psalms 38 18 says, I told you my sins and I'm sorry for them. Three, he was close to the king. Says, draw near to God and James and he'll draw near to you. Four, he expected opposition. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He built with unity. Oh, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's where it says that God commands a blessing. He understood to move forward, he needed the natural and the spiritual, and that the weapons of his warfare were not carnal, but they were mighty through God. It's God's passion to restore, rebuild, and fix us. We can have a right foundation and be building with wrong materials. When I look at the life of Nehemiah, I see a man with great success while experiencing great opposition. He was just a regular guy. He was not a priest, and he was not a prophet, but a man with a passion. The worship team can come up. I want to close with Jeremiah 31.3. It says, Yea, I have loved you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I will rebuild you. That's his promise to you.